You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. It's something both very uh, encouraging and very challenging and convicting. As I was thinking about uh, the good shepherd in John chapter 10, I was realizing what I'm scared of. I'm scared of a lot of things, but uh, one of the things I'm scared of is like a home invasion with my family there. Tammy's grandparents actually experienced this years ago. They were in an apartment in Georgia, and they're, they're just a sweet couple. Um, and they heard a knock at the door, and because they're trusting, they opened the door, and two criminals barged in with weapons, tied them up, and robbed them. They're okay, they didn't, they weren't injured. I mean, emotionally, they had the trauma that stayed with them for years, and I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the top fears, that somebody come in and try to hurt my sweet wife and my children, and I, I'm the kind of crazy guy, I think about scenarios like that, I probably shouldn't, and like, how am I gonna react to that? It's not going to be good for the criminal. I try to be well armed, and I was thinking this week, I mean, without hesitation, my first thought was I would do whatever it took to the end. I mean, I was, boom. I'm like, I'm thinking in my own room, and this is what I, to the end of what? My life, if that's what it took, and for sure the life of the intruder. Now, that's just real raw. I'm, I don't know if you're supposed to share that from the pulpit, but I, I wouldn't hesitate in the moment. I know exactly what I would do. Why? because that's my family. God has given me charge over them to protect them. Many of you probably feel the same, but then I took that thought a little further and the passion that I have and the instantaneous response, like, yeah, I would do it in a second, give my life for them. It waned and it lessened. It wasn't quite as hot when I started thinking about scenarios outside of my personal family. Now, I wanna believe, and I signed up for it in the military, that I would give my life in support of this nation. I wanna believe that I would, and I probably think I would, but I don't know as clear as I do know what I would do with my family because they're mine, and it's just, it's real clear. I can speak with authority and finality about what I would do for my family. I can. I would want to believe that somebody else would do similar things for my family. But again, I, I can't speak with finality and authority about that because I can only speak about what I have and what God's given me. Like, why are you talking about that? I think we see Jesus here without hesitation, speak with finality and authority about his willingness to give his life, which he did in an instant. It took a long time. It was brutal. Without hesitation, to give his life for his sheep because we are his family. We belong to him and he, and he loves us that much. Last week we started this amazing series in the I Am Statements who tell us, about who Jesus is. And we started with Jesus saying, I am the gate. And that basically he's the entrance into life. Not only life eternal, but life abundant because he is our shepherd as we learned last week. We're gonna dive into that on a whole nother level today. He is our shepherd who calls us out. We recognize his voice. We enter into him for salvation. But then he guides us out to pasture where there's what? There's protection. That's dangerous. There's provision. And there is daily guidance. That's awesome. Well, today we, we take the shepherd analogy that he brought up last week 
and we understand that as he's taken us out there into protection and provision and guidance, that that's an abundant life that's waiting for us. But we learned this morning that that abundant life came with a pretty stiff price tag. It came with a great cost to the Savior himself. Let's read about it. Stand with me, John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am. That's a statement of his divinity on its own. If you wanna know more about that, last week's message will help you understand it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am, meaning on the other hand, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, how about that? Which are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again, a reference to the resurrection. This commandment I received from my Father. This is God's word, please be seated. I want you to see in this passage that Jesus is the good shepherd because what, what he's done for us, his sheep. And that should evoke a response from us to, to desire to know him more and to follow him more. We're going to be answering that question. What does it mean that he's the good shepherd? Why is the shepherd good throughout today's passage? There's going to be lots of reasons. But the, the first reason is powerful to me because Jesus is the good shepherd in that he is relentless in his pursuit of me and relentless in his commitment to me as displayed in his life that he gave for me. Isn't that what we see here in these first few verses? That Jesus lays down his life for his sheep? I, I think that describes the word relentless. I use the word relentless because what comes to my mind is no matter what. And when you think of no matter what and relentless, these are foundational terms to help you understand the New Testament concept of love. Now, I don't know what we've muddled up that word to mean in our society today with the emotion and the fickleness and the subject to change. That's not love. Love is what's on display in this passage of scripture. Love is Jesus doing whatever it takes for the protection of and the benefit of his sheep. He is loving because he is committed. He is loving because he is relentless. He never stops. That's what the word agape, I think, really means. Romans 5, 6 says it like this, for while we were still helpless, that's a great term to describe a sheep, by the way. While we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone may dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> I was thinking this week, oh, how Jesus loves his hard-headed sheep. <laughs> well, I don't know if that describes you, it describes me. Sheep, like myself, are 
They're not known to be the brightest animals in the animal kingdom. I've made the mistake of, and Daniel helped me understand this this week, that, that sometimes we, we go wrong, and I've been wrong in a sermon before by, by calling sheep stupid. Jesus would never call you stupid, so why would I? Sheep aren't necessarily stupid. What, what Jesus is trying to help us understand with sheep, which we are, they're helpless. There's a big difference between stupid and helpless. Sometimes they look the same and how you get in the trouble, but we're helpless, meaning the sheep need constant guidance. Left to their own, they're gonna always be getting in trouble. What sheep need is a committed shepherd that is always willing to daily guide them and keep them out of trouble. <laughs> That's what I need. I was thinking, how do I describe my own walk with Jesus? And I, and I found a video that does it better than I could describe it. See if you can relate to this. There I am, caught in sin again, nabbit. I said I wasn't gonna do this, but here I am, and there's Jesus, illustrated in this video with the shepherd boy, coming to pull me out again. And at first, I'm like, you know what? I don't wanna get out of here. This is kind of fun. I'm like, okay, 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 Jesus, here I come. And he goes through great lengths to help me and literally pull me out of the situation that I'm in. I'm like, all right, all right, thank you, Jesus. Woohoo! feels good, feels good. But... Right? That's me. I'm talking like the next moment. Oh, sin, here I come. And here comes Jesus again. Over and over and over again. You want to know what love is? Study how Jesus puts up with the sheep. He died for us knowing that we would act silly like that. He died for us knowing that we would just keep diving headlong, sometimes by mistake, usually by our own desire, again and again and again. Four times in this passage, four times, Jesus refers to laying down his life for these kind of sheep. Blows my mind. When you look at the life of Christ, what's so amazing is that not only does he constantly pursue us and be committed to us, it's like when the going got tough, in Christ's life, he pressed in and didn't run away. When I face hard times, sometimes I just want to kind of hide or run away. Now, when Jesus saw the hard times, meaning our sin and the price he was going to have to pay for what we deserve in the wrath of God, he ran towards the danger instead of away from it. Because that's what a good shepherd does. A hired hand won't do that. A hired hand sees the wolf, sees danger, be like, I'm out of here. Deuces, y'all are on your own. Not Jesus. He sees the danger and he stands between us and the danger. That's what he did on the cross. And that's a character trait that should evoke praise and honor and commitment from us. In fact, we need to honor that character trait because it's a, a character trait of Christ whenever we see it in our society. Can you see it in anybody else that you can think of? That's why we honor military active duty, and veterans. That's why we honor first responders because they're the ones that run to the danger when everybody else is like, I'm out of here. Have you ever thought about that before, that they do that for you and me so we can have freedom? It's an awesome thing. And believe me, they don't do it for the pay. <laughs> I can speak personally. I mean, it's an okay living. It's not like getting rich. But When I was in South Carolina, for example, there was a hurricane. as a Category 4, maybe Category 5, and it was coming in and we're at Shaw Air Force Base, and they're like, okay, this might destroy the base. So they evacuated the base. 
but then they called all of the security forces guys, which I was a part of that squadron, and all the first responders, back to the base. So it was so funny. We're like in a convoy going to the base, and there's this much larger convoy leaving the base. We need to honor those that are willing to, to go into the danger when everybody else is fleeing from the danger because that's what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. He saw the wolf coming. He didn't run. He saw the prowling lion chasing him, thinking he's gonna win a victory from the life of Jesus Christ, coming for you in the form of the wrath of God. And Jesus stood in the gap on the cross and took God's wrath for you. It's a powerful thing that Jesus did for you and me, and it makes him good. Jesus knew full well, he didn't die on accident, that the price he was gonna have to pay for us uh, helpless sheep was gonna be in his own blood. He said, I'll do it in an instant. And he did. This is true love. Hope you see that this morning. I, I was reminded of a, a, another picture of this in a movie. I like movies. If you like movies, that's good. If you don't, that's cool too. Uh, the movie Armageddon, anybody ever seen that? Maybe you recognize the picture, right? Ben Affleck, Bruce Willis, like that's an all-star cast. You should watch it just for that reason. Do you remember what that movie was about? There's this comet that's out in space and it's making its way towards earth and if it impacts the surface of our planet, that's it. We're done, life's over. So NASA and scientists, they get together like, how can we do something about this? How do we knock the comet off its trajectory? So they try to shoot it down with missiles and nuclear weapons and it wasn't doing nothing. Ultimately, they decide what we need to do, what we need to give NASA, we need to get a shuttle, <laughs> we need to land on this moving comet we need to bore a hole into it. We need to detonate a nuclear weapon inside of it. And we all leave. It blows up. Everybody's good. So that's what they do. That's where Bruce Willis comes in in the movie. He's an expert at drilling. Takes Ben Affleck, his soon-to-be son-in-law that he doesn't like very much. Anyways, they go on this trip with NASA and they land on the comet. That was a miracle in itself. They bore the hole and then they plant the nuclear weapon. But then, wouldn't you know it, every good movie has a plot twist. We can't remote detonate it anymore. Somebody has to stay behind. So they draw straws. Literally, Ben Affleck's the guy that gets the short straw. But instead of Ben staying, it was Bruce Willis that pushed him into the capsule and stayed a great sacrifice to himself, his own life. He saves his future son-in-law, his daughter, and everybody on the earth. And when the music plays, we're crying, okay? Guys, that salty discharge from your eyes, it's okay during a movie. You're, you're feeling the emotions if you're crying or not. And we're glued to movies like that. Why? Because they show us a picture of what love looks like. Self-sacrifice. We don't have to watch a movie, though. It's, it's a good example. But the best example is right here in John chapter 10. Jesus Christ is love to you and for you by laying down his life on your behalf when you didn't deserve it. I think there should be a better word than just good, shepherd. What's awesome is Greek allows us a little bit better of an understanding of this word good. That's why I love the language. If you're thinking about surrendering to ministry, my first thing would be like, you better think about that some more. God better be calling you. But if you're gonna be surrendered to ministry somehow as a missionary, a pastor, some position in the ministry, you need to be teaching the word of God and you need to try to understand the languages. I'm not just saying that because I study the languages, but because sometimes we lose some things in translation. There's two words in Greek that we translate as good. The first one is agathos, and that's what you think of when you think of the word good, to be morally or intrinsically good. But agathos is not the word that's in John chapter 10. It's the Greek word kalos. 
And, it, and it's, it's hard to describe. It's more of an attraction-based meaning. And therefore, Kent Hughes, I agree with, the scholar, he says it's probably best translated as the word beautiful. Because Jesus Christ died in our place and we didn't deserve it, he's not just a good shepherd, he's a beautiful shepherd. Because of what he's done for me, he's beautiful to me. Because of his relentless commitment and pursuit of me, he becomes attractive and beautiful to me so that I want to pursue him. See how that changes the text a little bit? We're attracted to beautiful things in our world. Then God created us to be attracted to beauty. We like beautiful clothes and beautiful scenery and beautiful things. The, the world knows this, and so they make their products look beautiful so that you're attracted to them and you buy them. And I know it's not okay to be attracted in the beauty of stuff, but it's okay with Jesus. In fact, it's probably the base reason why you have this attractiveness to beautiful things. And we should be drawn to him in his beauty because of what he did for us. Have you thought about it? Have you let it sink in? Passages like this, let it go deep and work its way into your soul so that what you desire is to pursue him because you're attracted to him. Are you still trying to pursue him because of guilt? That ain't gonna work. We've tried that. Are you still trying to pursue Jesus because of fear? That may wake you up, but that's not going to last long. But attractiveness will keep you in pursuit of Jesus for a lifetime. I pray that this passage of scripture would help Jesus be beautiful to you and attractive to you. This is how we work as humans, by the way. If you're in a relationship, particularly if you're a husband and wife, listen up. Because what I'm about to give you is relationship gold. And it works with Jesus. (laughs) Your spouse sees you as beautiful, not just physically, but how you serve them. And the more sacrifice it takes and the more you give and sacrifice to them, the more attractive you become to them. Everybody's like, really? I'm like, yeah, okay, let me give you some examples. When I serve my wife and I do the dishes, which I don't do very often, sorry, sweetie, or the laundry, which I hate even more, or wash her car, truth is, in that moment, I become more attractive to her. If you're in a relationship right now and you're like, I'm just not attractive to my wife anymore. Guys, you don't gotta go to the gym, you gotta go to the sink. (laughs) Am I wrong, ladies? I mean, I guess you can go to the gym to live a little longer, but women aren't near as physical, guys, as we think they are or want them to be. That's some more free relationship advice. Jesus is attractive because of the depth of his sacrifice. You should be attracted to the gospel and attracted to Jesus because it always takes you further in your spiritual walk than guilt or fear ever could. Oh, truly, we have a good shepherd. He is committed to us and relentless in his pursuit of us, and that's Worthy of a sermon on its own, but I got some more time, so let's look at verse 14 and 15. 
Jesus is also the good shepherd because he guides his sheep. If you want to know more about how awesome it is that Jesus is a guide, listen to last week's message. Not because I preached it, but because it's, again, right out of John 10, 1 through 10. It goes into great detail about Jesus being the gate and the shepherd. You hear his voice. You follow him. He protects you from the wolves. He provides for you when you need. And he's always guiding you to this abundant life. I thought I'd just rehearse it a little bit here this morning. He's a good shepherd because he guides his sheep. Not only is he a good shepherd because he's committed to and relentless in pursuit of and that he guides his sheep, but look at verse 16. We do want to spend some time here because his love is diverse. Have you ever realized that Jesus is good because of how diverse his love is? That's what he says here. I have other sheep. Well, how about that, Jews? Not just you, which are not of this fold. They're not even in this pen yet. He goes, I must bring them out also. They hear my voice and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. Don't miss the point. It's not just for Jews. It's for you and me today that Jesus and his love is diverse for all of humanity. Jew and all Gentile, despite their color, ethnic background, or socioeconomic status alike. All means all. And this was a huge revolutionary message for the Jews. Many of them that were listening to the message thought that the Messiah came just for them. Jesus is correcting and expanding their thought process. And you should be thankful for that because it includes you and me. Anybody of Jewish descent in here, like your family line goes back to Israel somewhere? Not many, right? I don't see anybody's hands up. Well, even they must be imputed with the righteousness of Christ. But we've been grafted in because... Of that, what I just said, the imputed righteousness of Christ. I don't have to be born a Hebrew. I have to believe in the cross and the resurrection and his righteousness imputed to me and that's why I am a child of God. That's why I am a sheep. It's for all people, which is why racism is so wrong. It's a corruption of the gospel. Don't think for a second that the Jews weren't racist. They were. Just study how Jews and Samaritans got along. It It wasn't very well. That's a corruption of the gospel. The gospel, according to Jesus, not just to Todd, is for everybody who the Spirit would convict unto repentance and faith. And this is what heaven's going to look like. People from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every skin color, wealthy and poor, everybody. Revelation 5.9 says they sing a new song. This was the song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men, meaning men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. If God needs to correct or challenge some thinking here this morning, let him, because that's the truth, what he just said. John Piper in his book, Bloodlines, it's a great book. He said, the bloodline of Jesus Christ is deeper than the bloodlines of race. The death and resurrection of the Son of God for sinners is the only sufficient power to bring the bloodlines of race into the single bloodline of the cross. If that is true, who should be leading the way with racial reconciliation? If that is true... Churches should be leading the way. The body of Christ should be the least racist and the least judgmental group of all groups because it's only in the gospel and the blood of the cross that we truly have unity and that unity is stronger than anything else that we can manufacture in our society. 
governmental, legislative, none of that can do it. The gospel can. Mm, that's good. Jesus is good because he died in our place. He guides us to an abundant life and he does it for everyone. And this last point reminds us that he does it in verse 18, willingly. Don't let that just slip by you. He does it out of desire. Verse 18 says, no one has taken my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again and he chose to lay it down for you and me. You tell me who's strong enough on this earth that could have taken the life of Christ if he didn't want to give it. A lot of silence in here this morning. (laughs) Wasn't it Pilate that could have done it? I mean, the Roman Empire, surely. I mean, they're strong enough. They can do whatever they want to to Jesus. That's a joke. Jesus is the God of the universe. He had legions of angels accessible to him at any time. He could have destroyed the whole planet in a snap of his fingers. No, nobody took the life of Jesus. He willingly gave it for you and me. And this brings authenticity to his motivation. And and your willingness to serve him brings authenticity to your faith. It's not your mom and dad that call you every week. That can't be the reason that you're in church. I may get the year a couple times. It's got to come from you and your willingness. The manipulation of your spouse, the guilt of a friend. No, that, that's just, God can use that, but that can't be the basis of your faith. It has to be your willingness and being overwhelmed by the reality of the gospel that gets you here and causes you to spend time with him and serve him and ultimately, if necessary, give your life for him. That's Christianity. Jesus was willing to give it all for you. Here's a question. What are you willing to give in following him? The other stuff's been good news. This is the challenging part. If being a Christian causes you to lose your job, I mean, I don't want to be casual about this because I know it's hard, but okay. I mean, I thought about saying, so what? That's, that's kind of mean. Let's say Okay. There's always another career that can bring God glory. I'm not trying to be flippant about you providing for your family. That's important. But if God is the shepherd and he's the provider, you honoring him is a lot more important than you making money. I'm just going to say that. If you following Christ causes you to lose a few friends and some family members to abandon you, okay. You have a friend in Jesus. Even if he's the only one, it's enough. You're a part of the family of God. Let that satisfy your soul until God brings reconciliation to the earthly relationships, which I think he wants to through the gospel. If being a Christian and a follower of Christ causes you, which is a great fear for some of you, to lose your life, so be it. You have eternal life and the riches of eternity in heaven are far greater than any pitiful excuse for riches that you can have on this earth. That's what the Bible says. It's not even comparable. What are you willing to sacrifice in following him? So the real question is, what are you gonna do with the shepherd today? The good and the beautiful shepherd. I think there's four responses. I thought about just giving three, but I really think there's four responses. Response number one, if you're a faithful follower of Christ already, I pray that this passage causes you to desire to stay close to him on a daily basis. 
That's a real option. I pray that that's true of many of you. Option two, if you've drifted a little bit, the old Christian term is backslidden. (laughs) If you've got off track and you've been dabbling with sin and you've gone back to the safety of the sheep pen, what you need to do is see the Savior is beautiful again. Be drawn back to your first love. And we call that a recommitment. Maybe today's the day that you make a recommitment to your beautiful shepherd. Option three is a great option in response to this message. Maybe for the first time, the shepherd is looking beautiful to you. You've never trusted in Jesus as your savior. And today's the day, the, the beauty of the text draws you unto salvation. That would be a great decision. Like, Pastor, those are three good responses. I agree, but there's a fourth one. You can continue to ignore the magnitude of what the shepherd has done for you. You're like, that's not, no, it's not a fun one to say, but it's a reality of what is. There's more people choosing to ignore the magnitude of what the Savior's done for them inside of Christendom today than ever before. That's a real option. Some of you are gonna choose that today. My job is to plead with you to not choose that option. Do not ignore the magnitude of what Jesus is trying to get across to you. Let it change something in you. Most of you are gonna choose option two. Somehow, some way, this week, this month, this decade, you've, you've strayed from the good shepherd. And whatever sin has got you away from him, Whatever lifestyles of neglect and laziness that you're in, here's the one reason for that. You have left your first love. That's what it says in Revelation chapter two is God through John is levying judgment against a church, which could be like some churches in America. God says this, but this I have against you. Ooh, I don't want God to say that to me. Todd, I got this against you today. He said that before, it's not fun, but he says this I have against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. So if you're a follower of Christ today and you've left your first love, here's a prayer I want you to pray. Lord, would you please give me a renewed desire for Jesus? Lord, would you please help me to see Jesus as beautiful again? What a great prayer. What a great answer that God will give you. Maybe you would want to pray a prayer like the psalmist, like David did in Psalm 51 when he strayed. Pretty big stray. As he reflected on that, he says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Basically, restore unto me the the first love that I have for you and sustain me with the willing spirit. He is our first love, church. He should be your top love as well. He is your good shepherd, your beautiful shepherd who showed his love to you by relentlessly pursuing you, being committed to you, and giving his life for you. He did all of this on his own initiative. How awesome is the gospel? As you think about what you're going to do with it, let's pray. Lord, you are awesome and fantastic and good. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in us today in this both very encouraging and challenging text. Help us to treat you as you reveal yourself in your word, as the good shepherd, as the beautiful savior. God, if there's a believer here today that's needing to recommit, draw them back to yourself. 
Help them desire to pursue you. Not out of fear or guilt, but desire. And Lord, if you're using this message online or in a, in a lost soul that's here today, do what only you can do. Bring that soul to repentance, turning away from their old life in faith and what you accomplished for them in the cross, accomplished for them in the cross and in the resurrection. Bring salvation today, Lord. Would you help us to walk out of here trusting you more, like Matt says every week, knowing you more and pursuing you better. It's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org.